2: You know, Tracy, about 14 months before we were married, you and I were simply church attenders. Yeah, we didn't know each other yet, but by God's grace, we were both saved and we enjoyed our respective churches. We just didn't get involved, we didn't serve in any way.
1: Today, we wrap up our series on spiritual gifts. This is broadcast number five. But like we discussed in the first broadcast, David and I met the prerequisite for a spiritual gift. We had repented of our sins and we had asked Jesus into our hearts. Have you and your spouse done that?
2: Before meeting each other, we individually knew that we had a calling to minister to God's people, but we were kind of clueless. Do you remember that? Being afraid of what it meant in terms of setting the direction of our lives. For sure. I recall one day as a 13 or 14-year-old talking to Pastor Bob. And then talking to my dad and family about how I felt this calling into ministry. But the only picture I had of someone who was gifted and was called into ministry was Pastor Bob. And it was fine for him, but in my ignorance of how God gives diverse spiritual gifts, it looked like he had the only role in the church. And that didn't really fit what I thought God was calling me to do. And I'm going to expound on this in in just a few minutes. But Pastor Bob and his wife, they lived alone. Their kids were grown. And this little church of 15 some families in rural Wyoming financially struggled. It was pretty discouraging. And as I got to the stage of life where I was setting life courses, I was picking colleges. My parents wisely pointed out how an engineering path like my older brother had picked was going to take a very different course than the path that Pastor Bob was on. So you could say I had a little bit of a Jonah problem but without the whale. I was unsure of what it looked like to follow where God was leading me, and so I went the other direction. I went to what looked best for me. So five years of engineering school later, I've got a degree in computer engineering, and it was right at that juncture that I met you, Tracy.
1: And I'm so glad we did.
2: (laughs) So on our second date, we were talking about God's calling and direction. And you see, it was in that moment that I figured out it didn't matter what degree I had. I needed to be obedient to God's call in my life. Like Jonah, I needed to not fear a starving family and let that get me off onto my own course of self-service.
1: As David mentioned in a past broadcast of this five-part series, spiritual gifts were not something that was talked about in his home church growing up. But as for me, it was such a focus that I saw many people faking spiritual gifts just to be Accepted. It was an unhealthy church pressure which actually distracted from the God-given goal of spiritual gifts.
2: So I needed to be willing to take the spiritual gifts that he gave us off the shelf. And so Tracy and I jumped headlong into a Bible study as a very, very new couple through 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. All the passages that we have been focused on for these last five weeks all geared toward helping us discover and understand our spiritual gifts and how we would avoid the pitfalls of those that we saw that were seeking personal gain from spiritual gifts. The importance of this topic was so clear to us. We understood that they were not toys for us just to play with when we wanted to feel good by serving God. This needed real intentional focus. And I hope you are are having that same sense of urgency in your own life. Well, all this time spent wrestling with the Bible on this topic, it really did open our hearts and our eyes to serving Jesus with the gifts that he had given us. I'm not going to lie, there was conflict, there was struggle as we took what we were reading and what we had previously been taught and we scrutinized it.
1: The result of that study, was so good because together we got a clarity on spiritual gifts and how God wanted to use them for his kingdom and how we could live them out in our own lives. After all those years of what we would call bench warming on the sidelines at church, we finally understood some of the tools that God had given us to be mobile in His kingdom. And that is so empowering. I hope you and your spouse take that opportunity to do that. That's what this entire series has been about for us to get clarity on what God's word says about spiritual gifts. The Lord had been patiently calling us to serve in the area of marriages and calling us and calling us to get involved. To serve him now that we know this what do we do with it neither of us could really see how this was going to flesh out we were like home builders without tools before that point now we saw tools that the holy spirit was entrusting us with but what happens next
2: was well, our courtship transitioned to married life another defining thing happens so we went from looking at the blueprints for marriage to actually building our own marriage it was still very early on in our marriage when we learned about the Weekend to Remember event that was coming to Rapid City. Do you remember that, Tracy?
1: I couldn't wait for it, and I'm so glad we went.
2: It sounded cool. So we got signed up. And for those of you that don't know, this is a two day marriage conference put on by Family Life. And they try to cover the big areas of marriage trouble with guest speakers and some very engaging testimony. For us, though, it was like the light bulb went on above our heads. Sure, we we came to gain a lot of practical biblical application within marriage, but more important for our personal journey, we learned what marriage ministry could look like for people who weren't pastoring a church. Neither of us had ever seen it before in action, but instantly realized this was how our spiritual gifts were to be used.
1: In our lives leading up to this event, a big part of what we struggled with was to have words to describe what was now visible before our eyes. To be clear, it wasn't the conference. It was about the spiritual gifts God gave us and their use to accomplish His mission for our lives that really became discernible at that point. So we served marriages in that season, mostly as encouragers. We were young marrieds encouraging young married couples to build God-honoring marriages.
2: I want to fast forward to like eight or nine years ago when we moved to Ohio. By this time in our lives, we were well committed to serving and building biblical marriages. During this time, we met some new friends who encouraged us, who guided us along the way. And as part of that, God challenged us along with the senior pastor, Clancy Cruz at Marysville Grace in Marysville, Ohio to host our first marriage conference. Now let me ask you, as a listener, are you afraid of public speaking? And I sure was. So how would you respond if someone asked you to teach the Bible or to share your faith in front of others? I knew it would only be by God's grace that Tracy and I would be able to stand in front of a hundred plus married people And God did bring grace and even brought several people to himself in that two-day event. When it was over, we were lit up with amazement. Do you remember that Tracy driving home? We got to do things for his kingdom that were well outside our comfort zone, but only by his spiritual gifting. Now I want to pause and I want to come back to that season as a 13-year-old when I knew that God was calling me and I, I met with Pastor Bob, but I didn't feel like my calling fit into a senior pastor role like Bob's life was. Some of you can relate to the discouragement that I felt. I was spiritually immature and I loosely saw that God was calling me, even gifting me. But the nearest use of that gift just didn't seem to resonate.
1: We really delved into the spiritual gift of teaching a couple broadcasts ago. And it's true that God sets apart certain people like David's pastor for public teaching, for the building up of the body of Christ. He gives them the gifts and the grace necessary to do the things he's called them to do in this role. But the proclamation of the Word of God to the body of Christ is only one aspect of how a spiritually gifted teacher can minister. I'm talking about the everyday life teaching opportunities that God gives to each of us with this gift. Many of you right now are married to someone who felt like David did, discouraged because they can't see how their gifts and their calling fit together. So how do you help someone like that? I think you can start by asking what do these everyday life ministry opportunities look like for them in their set of giftings?
2: King David shares an example in Psalm fifty-one, thirteen. He says, I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Teaching like King David is talking about isn't impossible for you because you don't have a seminary degree in theology. He's talking about teaching people that are transgressors, right? They're sinners in the time and in the place that they are. And God has used my degree in engineering to provide for my family. The side trip wasn't a tonal loss. But like Jonah, for me, this engineering degree can be a hurdle. And it still is sometimes because I don't always think I'm prepared. A spiritual gifted teacher is required to share our stories of rescue and transformation with others. This one-on-one, almost informal ministry is not merely teaching the listener about grace. It's bigger. It's about sharing my experience of grace. People learn not because I've opened the Bible and I've given them a lecture, but because I've shown them the biography of grace in my own life. No matter what my vocation is, I have been shown God's grace and I can be an effective teacher because of it.
1: What qualifies those of us who have been spiritually gifted to teach is the context of everyday life and the grace we have received in our own moments of need. It's not some title or degree. By being willing to share our own story, we are being a teaching tool in other people's lives. And you can do the same. You may be a gifted teacher, and yet you might never be a pastor. You may never be a small group leader or a Sunday school teacher, but you'll always be called to a life of daily teaching. God wants you to see how he's equipped you and be ready, willing, and waiting to share with someone who needs it just as much as you do.
2: And this is our desire for you as a couple, no matter what your area of gifting is, that you would learn how to use your gifts together. For us, this happened in an early season of our marriage and dating times, but I know for some couples it comes a lot later. So are you a couple who functions fine as a family, that you know confidently that you're both believers, but you don't see spiritual gifts in action in your lives? Over the last couple of weeks on Vows to Keep Radio, we've broken down into understandable parts and pieces some of the gifts that God has given his people. We've gone over the gifts of teaching and giving and encouragement and mercy, service.
1: We've gone over leadership, administration, the gifts of knowledge and wisdom, faith and discernment. And we know it's a bit unconventional, but in order to help you spot these gifts in your home, we've asked this question How does this gift negatively affect a marriage? And this is because we often see negative side effects and we don't realize the root cause.
2: So what out of the pain points that we gave you stood out to you? Has God specifically gifted you in one of the areas that we've talked about? How about your spouse? If you're not sure, take a second listen to some of these past broadcasts on our website, VowsToKeep.com.
1: So right now we're going to resume our review of spiritual gifts and we're going to start with evangelism. All Christians, as we know from the Great Commission in Matthew 28, are called to evangelize and reach out to people who are lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ.
2: This is actually one of the key reasons that we have spiritual gifts, but some are given an extra measure of effectiveness in this area. The spiritual gift of evangelism is found in Ephesians 4 verses 11 and 12, where Paul says that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ.
1: The Greek word for evangelist means one who brings good news. Evangelists are those people who have this deep burden in their heart for the lost, and they're the ones that go out of their way to share truth with people. They are given the unique ability by the Holy Spirit to clearly and effectively communicate that gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. So how does this gift negatively affect a marriage?
2: Well, first off, we have to know that evangelists are able to overcome the normal fear of rejection and engage non-believers in meaningful conversations about Jesus. Now, unfortunately, this doesn't mean you as their spouse will be able to get over the fear of rejection. Some people who are married to gifted evangelists are constantly embarrassed, almost a little bit fearful for their spouse. But you know what? It's unnecessarily so. Evangelists also tend to be people who cut to the chase right away. They're ready to share the gospel within the first five minutes of meeting someone, sometimes before they've had enough time to really establish credibility with a listener so that they're not disregarded. And this can be a real turnoff, especially if you're in a group setting with your spouse. Well, Tracy, if your spouse has this gift, how can you be a part of their growth spiritually?
1: If your spouse has the gift of evangelism, it allows them to communicate with all types of people. And because of this, they receive a greater response to the message of salvation through Christ. So learn to be unafraid of people who haven't accepted Christ as their savior yet. Learn from your spouse to be broken for the lost. Enough so that you're going to walk beside them in their calling with confidence. Your spouse is going to want to continually seek out relationships with those who don't know Jesus, and they're going to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit to approach those people. So please, please, please make sure that you don't try to be a roadblock to who God is encouraging your spouse to talk to. Now, we're not saying not to be wise, but don't let your fear turn into the limitation for your spouse's spiritual gift.
2: People with this gift love giving free treasure away for Jesus, and it brings them great joy knowing that they, as the hands and feet that bring the light in the darkness, are beautiful and brave to those who ultimately choose to believe. Next, let's talk about the gift of an apostle. Now, by reading God's word, you have to be a faithful eyewitness of Jesus' life and his resurrection. And then... Apostles were given authority by Jesus to write scripture and perform miracles, which established the early church. It was a big job. What's well, a little different today. A spouse with the gift of apostleship today is not someone who's going to be writing scripture, but rather someone who plants new ministries in churches, not as a teacher per se, but as a catalyst. They go where the gospel is not preached with others who are evangelists, and they raise up and they develop leaders. Apostles are the people that seek out the pastors and the shepherds to function together. They are the leaders of leaders. They are the ministers of ministers. They're influencers who are tactical and are able to complete some very difficult responsibilities which affect many within their sphere of influence. Those that are overseeing church plants, those that are overseeing Christian ministries, they often have this gift of apostleship.
1: But this gift can negatively affect a marriage. This person can endure hardship for the gospel's sake. They know better than most that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Being strategic is hard work, and the challenges are everywhere, and stress is commonplace within marriage where this gift exists. Change can be another pain point, because when Christ calls you to go, you go. Most marriages enjoy stability and consistency, but the person with this gift of apostleship might need to have the boxes already packed.
2: If your spouse has this gift, Tracy, how can you be a part of their spiritual growth?
1: I think, David, it starts with helping them to be empowered for the kingdom. Don't drag your heels. Many leaders of leaders can only do so with the flexibility of a spouse who knows how to support them. Imagine being called into a mission with a two-ton gorilla on your back. It's pretty limiting. It can be an all-consuming use of resources just to mobilize someone who's fighting you, let alone carry out the work of starting a new mission.
2: We're running out of time here, but I want to take a moment to talk about the group of spiritual gifts that we haven't gotten the chance to talk about yet. And those were the ones that we talked about in our third show under the heading of the signs gifts. There's a lot of varying views on these gifts, which provide signs of God's power. And we're talking about things like healing Miracles, prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, and the question that many couples have to wrestle with is whether the signs, gifts of the Spirit, described primarily in one Corinthians chapter twelve through fourteen, are still active in the church today. So let me be clear: this is not a question of whether God still performs these miracles today. It would be foolish, it would be unbiblical, I think, to claim that God does not heal people, it doesn't speak to people, that God doesn't perform miraculous signs and wonders. This is not a question of whether the Holy Spirit can give someone a miraculous gift. The question is whether the Holy Spirit still does. Above all else, we have to entirely recognize that the Holy Spirit is free to dispense these gifts according to His will. So how does this group of gifts negatively affect a marriage?
1: In a word, David, I think it would be division. Our goal here today is not to try to change your view on the subject that we're talking about, but to say you and your spouse should be one on this topic. And many husbands and wives avoid this because they know they're gonna disagree. They know their church backgrounds growing up were different. And so they've just said, we're gonna agree to disagree.
2: Yeah, some couples avoid this topic completely because they know this isn't an area that they really feel like they know enough to have an opinion. And therefore they're just content to be ignorant. Some churches would say that the early church did not have the complete Bible as we do today. So the primary purpose of these signs gifts was to prove that the gospel was true and that the apostles were truly God's messengers. Therefore, these gifts were necessary in order for the early Christians to know what God would have them do. But some would say that now that God's revelation is complete in the Bible, the sign gifts are no longer used in the same capacity that they were in the New Testament.
1: And some couples are gonna fall in the middle. They feel that the Bible does not say outright that all miraculous gifts have ceased, but it does lay the foundation for why they might no longer occur to the same extent as they did during the writings of the New Testament. Others would say, though, that God still miraculously heals people, and He still does amazing miracles, signs and wonders, and sometimes performs those miracles through a Christian. You know what? We can relate, because our church backgrounds were very diverse growing up.
2: So, If your spouse believes that they have one of these gifts, how can you be a part of their growth spiritually?
1: I think it starts by investing time on your own and together to know what God's Word says about these topics. We know of marriages where the spiritual credibility of a husband or a wife is on the line here. This couple might be you, a husband who says, I believe in these gifts, I have one of these gifts, and a wife who doesn't agree that they even exist. Dig into God's word together and agree to never disagree as a resolution. Research this topic with passion and unity.
2: That's all we have time for. We spent five weeks on this subject. I hope your eyes were open on how God has gifted both of you. Please visit vows2keep.com and send us a note so that we can pray for you and your spouse in your next steps. But let me talk a little bit about those next steps. And it starts with this. Get down on your knees as a couple and thank God for seeing fit to give you your specific giftings. Freely give that gift back to him as a sacrifice of praise, telling God he can take that gift. He's given it to you to use it as he sees fit to build up his body, the church. Then ask him to grow you in your giftings, to give you opportunities to expand the borders of what you might be comfortable with. All of this, though, being for the expressed purpose of building his kingdom, not yours.
1: It's our prayer that you would be faithful, obedient servants. Faithfully serve in the small things and allow God to work in and through your life at his pace. And boldly use your spiritual gifts when the need arises and humbly seek after God's kingdom and his righteousness.
2: Acknowledge that God never makes mistakes and that you can accept your spouse's gift. And actually want them to grow in it. Pray that God would give you the heart, even joyfully, to accept that usage of that gift in your home and in your presence, even if it's uncomfortable for you.
1: A few months ago on Bows to Keep Radio, we focused on being a good steward of your marriage. God says, if you are faithful with few things, He'll make you a steward over many things. Are you a stumbling block to your spouse's faithfulness with their spiritual gift? 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So use your spiritual gifts as a couple at every opportunity to show the love, the grace, and the power of God to others. That's the goal here. God's kingdom, not ours. A marriage has a unique ability to produce fruit that doesn't focus on a person and thus is going to glorify God in the end.
2: That's right, Tracy. Use your gifts in love for the glory of God and the building of His church. Ask God to open your eyes to how you and your spouse can use your gifts in tandem with each other.
1: 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen says, But now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. God's Word calls us again and again to live this life of love now that we have this freedom in Christ. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 reminds us Yes, we've been called to live in this freedom, but not to use our freedom to satisfy our sinful nature because that is our default. The default is to leave the gifts up on the shelf and just do what feels good at the moment. It says instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love because Galatians 5.14 says the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So when you are no longer a bench warmer at church or you're no longer warming the seat in your house waiting for someone else to lead you're no longer leaving your gifts of service and encouragement and teaching on the back burner but you're saying god these are yours use them as you will you are then living that life of love you are seeking after the greatest thing that first corinthians 13 talks about and that is love
2: Whatever God calls you to do, be confident that he will provide a way for you to do it with love within your marriage, which will make an accomplishment for the kingdom all the more a statement about the creator of your life, the creator of your marriage, and the creator of your mission.
0: Like what you heard today on Vows to Keep Radio? Listen to more life-changing broadcasts at VowsToKeep.com. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities, but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.